Hey friends and welcome to the happy hour. My name is Jamie Ivy, and I'm your host every week right here on the happy hour podcast. This week my guest is my friend Tara Livesay and Tara and I have known each other since about 2007. Tara and her family live in Haiti and when we interviewed those she was in Texas with one of her daughters that just had her first baby. So she's now a grandmother and mother to seven. We talk about what it's like to raise kids at different stages. We talk about raising kids as they're getting to be adults. I don't have any experience in that, but we talk about that a little bit. We talk about what it's like to live in Haiti. We talk about short-term mission trips. We talk about her becoming a midwife this year, which is so exciting, and I love that for her. It's a great conversation. I love Tara so much. She's a joy um, to be a friend of mine, and I love visiting her in Haiti. I love her wisdom. I love so much about her, and you're going to enjoy her so much as well. Before we get going, I want to say thank you to a couple of people. First, I want to say thank you to Clapping Dog Media from Twitter. They tweeted recently, what is your favorite new thing this week? Mine, the Happy Hour Podcast with Jamie Ivey. Listen, laugh, repeat. Thank you so much. I love that so much. Another listener on Twitter named Emily Gardner said, listen to Annie Downs on the Happy Hour Podcast. Might be my favorite yet as I continue to binge my way through the archives. Annie was a great guest if you haven't listened to hers as well. Thanks for listening to those. Guys, I love it when you leave comments. Find me on Twitter. It's at Jamie underscore Ivy. I'm on Facebook, Instagram, all that fun stuff. Anyhow, I hope you have a great day, and I hope that you enjoy our conversation with Tara and I, and I hope that you just feel as though we're all sitting around a coffee table drinking coffee chatting. So here's my friend Tara. Hey, Tara. Welcome to the happy hour. Thank you. I'm excited to be here with you. This is so fun because you're actually in Waco right now, and you obviously normally live in Haiti. Yes, I'm in Texas. I've been here for about four weeks, and um, that's not super usual for me to leave the kids that long, but I had a grandbaby, so I'm here for the grandbaby. You had a grandbaby, and you leave the other kids for a grandbaby any day. (laughs) Yeah, it seemed like the right thing to do. I think so, although they're probably mad in Haiti because they're not here with the grandbaby. They are. They cannot understand why everyone couldn't get on a plane and come be present for the birth of the child, but... Money's no issue when you're seven. Exactly. (laughs) You have no concept. I don't get it. Um, Okay, Tara, I was thinking this morning when I was thinking about talking to you this morning that we met a while ago. I mean... A long time ago. A long time ago. We met, it was May of 08, right? May of 2008. I think we started writing like a whole year before that. That's probably true. But yep, May of 08 is when you led that team to the mission that we used to work at. Yes. And I celebrated my 30th birthday there. Yeah, I remember. With you, yeah. Yeah. And I was also thinking this morning, at that point, all your kids lived in Haiti. And you had, didn't you, at that point, did you have two kids under one? Um, Phoebe and Lydia? We actually had, technically had three because we were. Oh, that's right. We were fostering my niece. Yeah. So there were three under one. It wasn't. No, that's not true. Phoebe's 11 months older. So she was one. There were three under two. Okay. Yeah. It was crazy. It's so crazy. And then you live, okay, so you lived out in like, basically it seemed like the middle of nowhere. Yeah. I mean, it's 40 miles outside of Port-au-Prince, but it does, you may as well be 500 miles outside of For any, sure. Right. Yeah. Super rural feeling and people on donkeys and yeah. Yeah. So that was actually my second, no, that was my third time ever to Haiti, but it was my second time to meet, to be with my kids, Amos and Story. And so y'all were gracious. Uh, Aaron and I led a team out there with you guys, and you let us just bring our kids along for the ride. So I remember that. That was actually Aaron's first time to meet the kids, too. 
Okay. I didn't remember that part. And actually, I thought the first time we met, you were maybe only adopting Amos and you hadn't decided to adopt two kids yet. Is that true or no? Am I remembering wrong? Not the first time we met live in person. Okay. My first trip to Haiti was in 2006 with a totally different group. And then I came down in January of 08 to meet the kids for the first time. Okay. And then to your house in May of 08. Got it. I know. It's crazy. And then I went, you know, we, we would, every time we'd come down and visit the kids, we would oftentimes stay with you guys or come see you. And then I didn't go back for like two years after the earthquake. I know. I was so glad when you came back last May. It was, um, it was a really good trip for me because here's why. So I went, I, after my, Amos came home in January of 2010 after the earthquake in Haiti. And so then all up until that for the you know, two and a half years before that, Haiti had been just this really hard place for me because every time I would go, I was leaving my kids. And so it just, I guess like, I'm not a psychologist, but I would think over time I would, I developed some kind of like, I hate the country of Haiti mentality, um, which Haiti had done nothing to me except for, I just could never bring my kids home. So it was really hard for me. So after they finally came home, I was like, I'm never going back again. I have zero good memories there. Every time I go, I leaving a kid. And so then when Paige graduated, you guys invited us to come down and I like had to go to counseling before I could come down. I mean, it was, it was so good for me though, because I went and it was like a joyous occasion. It was wonderful. It was fun. And so it was almost like this redeeming trip for me. Yeah, I mean, all with all those negative memories and all the pain sur- that surrounded the adoption process, mm-hmm. it totally makes sense that it would be hard to come back and try again afterward. Yeah, but I had a great trip, and so I'm down for coming again. Okay. No well, hard feelings about the country of Haiti anymore. <laughs> yeah, I would love for you to come again and mm-hmm. and work work with us. That'd be awesome. Well, every time I would go visit Haiti, um, I would go out to, our kids stayed at a place called Real Hope for Haiti and Tara knows them and they have a clinic there and every single time, I mean, out of the handful of times I was there, I kept wanting a baby to be born. Never one time did I see a baby born. And now you're a midwife and work in a maternity center. And so I'm only coming to visit if you can guarantee that I'm going to be in the room when a baby is born. (laughs) Yeah. Unfortunately, you know what? It's so interesting because I feel like if somebody really, really, really wants to see a birth, we're pretty much guaranteed not to have one. Because they want it so bad, it's not going to happen. <laughs> the births happen when they want to happen. <laughs> so crazy. Okay. So speaking of midwifery, which that's the correct term, right? Midwifery. Midwifery. Yeah. Midwifery. You just recently became a midwife like this fall, right? I officially, I've been working at it for since 2010 and I officially passed all my tests and all the steps in the um, process to become certified uh, on August 5th. Yeah. And that's no joke to get certified. It's not just, I mean, it took you a long time, a lot of studying. It's a big deal. Yeah. There's a little more to, like, I think there's some who think, well, you put on Birkenstocks and (laughs) you watch a few births on YouTube Uh and can't call yourself a midwife, but there's, I mean, there's a little more to it than that. I think (laughs) there's a lot more to it. Yeah, it was, uh, I actually for pretty much the entire time didn't think I could do it. So it was, it was good for me to just keep putting one foot in front of the other and finish because I didn't have tons of confidence in my ability to memorize so much medical terminology Mm -hmm. and go sit for a test. I'm not the greatest student. I'm pretty much a, a C student. So I mean, I have been my whole life and obviously I've 
finished college long ago. So going back and trying to learn something was scary. That would be so hard for me as well. But see, my question for you, when I met you in how long ago that was, six, seven years ago, this wasn't even on your radar, was it? No. I mean, I moved to Haiti thinking we would be in Haiti for 18 months and also just planning to do administrative stuff, which I am gifted administratively. And Uh that's the only gift I was really aware of. And I didn't even know that I, that I had any bent toward medical work. It was just because of living in Haiti that I learned that because when you live in a village and there's no medical care anywhere, you you end up, yeah, you end up being the person who does wound care Uh in your and you kind of learn as you go. And as more and more crazy things came to our doorstep, I was just like, huh, I'm not really grossed out by any of this blood and gore. It's none of it seems to phase me. So then when we moved to Port-au-Prince and started working with Heartline, I started as an administrative person for the maternity center and just kind of stayed in the corner at birth and didn't really look at the area where the action was. Yeah. And slowly but surely I was like, okay, this doesn't even gross me out. I can do this. And it was after the earthquake that I decided, all right, I'm going to just start training and if I don't finish, I don't finish, but I'll just see what happens. So it did, I mean, it took three and a half, four years. Yeah. But I mean, you did it. And so now you work with Heartline and you're one of the midwives there, right? Yep. There's three midwives and two nurses and I'm one of the three. That's so awesome. Are there three full-time there or is that a rotating thing? No, there, we now have three full-time. It's been hard to get to that point. Um, cause it's not that easy to find people who want to live in Haiti full, yeah. full-time, but, mm-hmm. um, we have three, the, both of the midwives I work with are named Beth. So it's, I mean, the Beths and Tara. Yeah. That's awesome. So how many births have you done now since you've been official? Oh, I mean, too many to count or. Oh, no, because we have a little, I mean, the whole thing with our program is we're trying very hard to build relationships and actually know the women. And we're not just having strangers walk off the street and deliver their babies. Mm -hmm been with these ladies for months by the time they deliver. So in order to be able to build relationship and actually know the women we're delivering, we don't do tons. We probably average about six to eight births a month. Gotcha. I finished in August and I don't deliver every baby. We take turns. So yeah. I'm, I'm, we're all at all the births, but we take turns as the primary that gets to deliver. And uh, so a handful, I did get to deliver my grandson. That's so fun. October. Which I want to talk about that in a minute. But first, I have one more question about Heartline. Did And I should know this, but I actually don't even know this. Since after the earthquake, is that when Heartline turned more into maternity stuff? Or was that always going on? Well, so John and Beth McCool, who started Heartline over 25 years ago, they had been doing adoptions and was a very small children's home solely for the purpose of adoption. They'd been doing that for 17 years when in 2007, Beth decided she wanted to do something to keep families together. Like she just saw the pattern of, okay, these are poverty orphans Uh and there has to be a way to do something different that addresses the problem at the root. So she went to midwifery school. She started, she finished about a year and a half ahead of me. Um, But the prenatal program was actually started in 2007. So we were two, we were about two years and three months in when the earthquake hit. And what the earthquake did was just forced us out of adoptions Mm -hmm. because all those kids went to the United States to their families on humanitarian parole. They were allowed special entrance into the United States to finish their adoptions while living with their adoptive families. And 
um, once all those kids went home, it was just a perfect chance to kind of start really focusing on maternity care. And so our program grew a ton and changed a ton. Honestly, got a lot better once we had the bandwidth to focus all on maternity care and kind of be done with adoption stuff. Which I love that because it is, you said it, it like looks at the root of the problem and what you're doing is you're giving these moms knowledge and education and the ability to parent their child. Whereas otherwise, if they wouldn't have had that, it could have led to adoption, but you're stepping in. And so they get to stay with their families. Yeah. It's amazing how really, I mean, even moms who come in saying, I don't think I can do this. I'm, I'm going to put the baby at an orphanage. Mm-hmm. Um, it's It doesn't really take, I know people have a hard time believing this, but it's like, just a little bit of encouragement and telling somebody that they can do it and and just coming alongside them during those first six months, it makes a huge difference. And women begin to see the whole thing differently and their ability differently. And poverty doesn't mean you can't be a mom. So it's it. very okay. cool to get to see, to see it with your own eyes. So cool. Okay. So speaking of um, delivering babies, um, I actually just saw you last night and got to see some pictures of your grandson. So now your, your oldest child is how old? My oldest is 24, almost 25. Okay. And your youngest is seven. And seven. And there's seven children in there. And now you have a grandson. Yes. Who's like two, three, three weeks, four, three weeks old. Yeah. We, um, obviously it's our, our second daughter had her son October 11th and we, we moved her to Waco last year to start college And so the baby was a huge surprise, but we've all been just rolling with it and so excited about him. And um, that daughter will be getting married in January. We're just, we're glad he's here. He's perfect little guy. And uh, definitely the year has been challenging and we for sure had some low spots where we were processing everything and Mm -hmm. communicating our hopes and dreams and Uh, even our disappointments. And it's just been very cool to see the way, honestly, the way God has just come alongside of us and, and given us joy in places where we couldn't have imagined there would be joy. I love that. I've got to walk, you know, from afar and watch you guys go through this year. And just looking back, I literally just got chills just now because I've seen like, you know, the the, the valleys and the highs and all that kind of stuff. And it is such a wonderful picture of just God's redemptive story at the end here. And, and looking back, you know, 10 months ago, this would have seemed crazy that you'd be here, but now it's fabulous. Yeah. I mean, you know, because you were, you were on the receiving end of some of my wailing. I can't believe this. <laughs> we're never going to be able to do this. And she, her life is over. Right. So funny how time and, <laughs> It's so true perspective. And yeah, I mean, I, I was pretty dramatic at the beginning. I was, and and I had a, I had children when I was young. It's not like I, I have proof that it's not impossible. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you want, you want your kids' lives to be the easiest path possible. So when they take a path that's more difficult, some of us freak out a little bit. And I mean, also you couldn't just run over to someone's house, you know, in the day you lived in another country when this was happening, you know, so that was hard as well. Yeah. I was thankful for you guys. Oh, it's so, it's so, I love the journey. I mean, it, the journey is hard, but the end looks really right now. It looks amazing. You know, it's so fun. Yeah. Um, okay. I have a question for you. Just the other day, I talked to a mutual friend of ours, Jamie Wright. And we were talking about parenting kids and, um, 
she has, her youngest is 14 and her oldest is like, I don't know, 22, something like that. So she's a couple steps ahead of me and she has all boys. And so I was asking her, you know, what's the hardest stage? What do I have to look for? She said, middle school is just so hard. And then we were talking about how in this world of blogging and internet, there are so many mom blogs and, but there aren't hardly any, there, there's hardly anyone talking about raising like a 15 year old or an 18 year old or a 22 year old. And I've heard several of you friends that have older kids say that that's sometimes even harder than younger ones. Do you feel, do you feel like you're kind of in the middle of that right now? Yeah, I think it's probably one of the most surprising things of the last four or five years for me is just, I think you're in the thick of diapers and sleep deprivation and tantrums and just kids that you can't even reason with. Right. They have no reasoning skills. <laughs> yeah. You you think, well, this is certainly the hardest thing I've ever done in my whole life and I'll probably never live through it. But then um, I think there's like, to me, seven, seven to Okay, maybe not seven, six, five, six to ten years old. Mm -hmm. That's kind of an easier stage. And then they start having hormones, and then they start having their own ideas, and they don't want to do what you say. And I feel like I don't know. I mean, I I don't need agreement, but I I honestly think um, parenting young adults is the hardest thing I've ever done. That's what I hear, and that I just feel like some of us moms, like me, that's listening. That I, I agree with you, though. I feel like right now my youngest is almost seven, and my oldest is almost eleven. I feel like we're in this spot where it's just like we have our things for sure. You know, story screamed for like twenty minutes yesterday. We have our issues, but I'm not as exhausted physically with these children. Um, we can like actually have conversations. Caden kind of makes me laugh sometimes. I can sit down and have a conversation with him and he can, he's starting to reason a little more. So I see what you're saying about the sweet spot right now. But now I look ahead of me. I'm like, oh my gosh, this is going to be so much harder. I know. going to do stupid stuff. Yeah. And I think like we get used to, we really get used to having kids that, I mean, most of us, I mean, I don't, I know not everyone is, has the most compliant children and definitely there's stronger kids in the bunch when you have a handful of kids, uh-huh. but you get used to saying something and the children listen and you, you start to think, well, this is, this is how it's always going to be. They're just going to, they're going to take my advice and yeah, do what I just say. Do what you, I mean, for the most part, they're like, they trust you. Like, okay, mom says it, it must be right. Yeah. And then you find out, oh, that's not really how it's going to go. <laughs> but if we all look back, we did the same thing. Oh my gosh. I just, I became, I'm, I know I was a hard young adult to parent for sure. Oh my gosh. I was so rebellious. Difficult. You were rebellious. I was like this, um, silent rebellion. Like I went to church on the outside. It looked all good, but I was doing some pretty awful things. And then, um, just went to college and my parents sent me off to a a Christian university and I just found the same people I had been running with in high school and just the same stuff. And so I'm sure that that, but I was like, I would tell my mom things I would do. Like, I don't, cause I thought, well, she doesn't, I live at, in college. What's she going to do to me? Ground me, you know? So I think that must've been hard on her to like, listen to me talking about all the things, like going out and partying. I don't know why I told her what was wrong with me. But I imagine that had to have been hard to parent me. Yeah, I just think, like, really, sometimes I wake up at 4 or 5 in the morning worried about a kid that's, I mean, she's grown and gone. Like, I don't need to worry about her. But you wake up thinking, 
oh, I wonder if she's going to be okay. I wonder if this, I wonder if that. I mean, I, we're moms forever. That's right. <laughs> and I'm sure the worries change. I mean, for sure. You know, I'm, I worry that someone's going to be mean to my kids at school. And in a couple of years, I'm going to be worried that they're like, I don't know, out drinking with their friends or something. I mean, I guess it just all changes. It's crazy. Yeah. And I think, you know, the mistakes that you make when you're 18 and 22, those can be life changing mistakes. It's not like, yeah. And so we know that as moms, yeah. either yeah. because we made some of them. And so yeah. we know what happens or because we can see, you know, the road. Yeah. And I, I mean, like, I think I definitely drove when I shouldn't have drove as, as a young adult. Mm-hmm. And I just, that kind of stuff scares me. <laughs> Not that, I mean, I have no proof that my children are driving well intoxicated, but I just know it only takes one, you know, poor decision, yep. one moment of thinking, oh, I'm okay. Uh-huh. And, yeah. I hear scary. you. So you right now are parenting. I mean, h- how old is Lydia? Lydia seven. just, yeah, she just turned seven. So oh, seven's your youngest. So you're basically in every stage right now besides like um, preschool toddler baby, which I'm not a preschool toddler baby at all. So I once they hit seven, I feel like we're in the groove. Um, yeah. This is my question for you, Tara. You've been through a lot of stages. Do you feel like you're a better parent to Lydia and Phoebe? My big girls, my two oldest girls would say that I'm a more mellow, more more forgiving, more easygoing parent. Um, I mean, and then other people might watch that and say too permissive, you know, like, Uh I don't know. I think the more you do it, the more you realize so much of what you force when they're littler is just inconsequential. I don't have to, you know, (laughs) with my first kids, you know, if I said clean your plate, I would stick to it. They would have to sit there till they clean their plate. Right. I I don't need to win anymore. Like I just have learned winning arguments is just it isn't worth it. Sometimes it's it's just easier to let the kid win. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I don't think everyone would agree with that. There's parents who are absolutely not going to bend on that stuff, but I just I don't think I take a lot of the stuff as seriously as I did when I was a first time, second yeah. time. And there's probably some things that like you're, you look back and you're like, I mean, you probably do still take something seriously, obviously, but the things that yeah. you're just like, ah, I'm not a big deal. If I could go back when I first adopted it, Amos first came home, this is like one of my biggest regrets and I, I'm embarrassed to tell the story, but it's kind of funny, but it just shows how like unknowledgeable I was about my child who had lived through trauma and just parenting. So he comes home from Haiti um, traumatized. I mean, you were in the earthquake. He was in the earthquake. It was crazy. And then he just shows up home and, um, oh my gosh, I get so embarrassed when I tell this, but one time at dinner we were eating and my sweet little, like newly home child, four and a half years old. I mean, it was probably, he'd probably been home about, I don't know, four or five months, half a year, maybe Tara, I made that child eat salad until he, he could not get up until he ate a salad. This is like the worst. I look back on that and I'm like, Jamie, that was the meanest thing you've ever done to a child who probably never had salad in his entire life. And then he shows up traumatized and you won't let him leave the table to eat salad. I, <laughs> it's funny now I'm embarrassed about it. Actually, I'm just like, oh my gosh. But all that to say, if we were to bring home more kids into our family, which we're not, I would never make them eat salad. I've only been home for six months. So I see what you're saying. You learn and you're just like, that was dumb. That was not a battle that needed to be won. Well, yeah. I mean, I think you're just able to see what was more about you and you exerting your will and your power Mm -hmm. and what's 
and what's actually necessary. I know. I was like, dang it, this child, you, you are in the Ivy family now and we eat salad. So step up to the plate. Oh my gosh. <laughs> the worst. Oh, uh, so bad. You know what? You got to give your kids, um, reasons for counseling when they're older. We have to keep, we have to keep the therapist in business. Okay. That's good. I know. I always say like, whenever I do something crazy or stupid, I'm like, well, that's going to be in their memoir when they write about me when they're older about, you know, all this crazy stuff. Speaking of crazy stuff. Okay. So Caden goes into sixth grade next year. Oh my God. And I know it's crazy. And so at our church, like, that's like you get into students, you know, like you're in the students little area and they have these like little small groups that they meet in and they have these people that love them and encourage them. And I looked at Aaron the other day and I said, Oh my gosh. Caden's going to go into one of these groups and he's going to tell his leader, like if I'm mean to him or he's going to tell his leader, if I'm a bad mom one day and my <laughs> approval just was like raging. It was like, I could not even comprehend how, like, what are these people going to think about me? Oh my gosh. And Aaron's like, yeah, it's going to happen. Let's get over it. And I'm like, oh my gosh. I'm just like, but my people are becoming, my kids are becoming people. They're getting big. Yeah, and then they tell the truth about things, which honestly, with, that's probably good, right? We want our kids to tell the truth. For even, sure. Even if it's ugly. <laughs> even if it's ugly. Because, I, I mean, I always say I tell the truth about myself. I just did. Even when it's ugly, it's just what it is, you know. Oh, I'm not ready for sixth grade. No, it's it's so frightening also. I mean, I don't have this in Haiti because we kind of have our little bubble that we live in. Mm -hmm. uh, but my kids aren't. You know, I mean, Caden going and being with mean junior high kids, doesn't that just scare you? Yes, to think I want to cry and protect him. Yeah. And move him to Haiti to go to school with your kids. I know, where everything's happy at the little... <laughs> yeah, it's at the little little co-op thing. Yeah. Yeah. No, I don't want it at all. What grade is Isaac in? He's a seventh grader. Oh, my gosh. And is that your oldest at home right now, or is Hopi older? Isaac is the oldest okay. at home. Okay. Yeah. And he's, I mean, he's an interesting kid. He... He emotionally is younger than seventh grade, and he is as happy and as joy-filled as a person can be. And there's just, there's no cloudy days in his life. And so I don't, like, having him go to junior high, like what Caden's going to do, that just, I think he would get eaten alive. Because yeah. he just doesn't, he doesn't believe anything is bad. He believes, I mean, even living in one of the poorest countries in the world, he just... He sees everything with rose-colored glasses, and I would hate to see what junior high kids would do to his perspective on life. <laughs> he's the he is the happiest kid. Yeah, I mean, he is just he's so joyful. That's who I want around me when I'm having a bad day. Isaac would say, "You need to have, like start recording little tidbits of Isaac and just send them to us, so when we're having bad days, we can hear Isaac's voice telling us it's okay, Jamie." Jamie, every single day. So Troy is kind of we have a little bit unusual parenting stuff. I mean. Troy does sort of more of the mom stuff and I do. I mean, it's weird. I, I know we know it's weird, but it works. Um, Whatever works is what I say. I, yeah. I'm the wrestler. I'm the tickler. Uh -huh. Troy, Troy keeps track of when they're supposed to have homework done and <laughs> the school. And I'm it like, it's kind of opposite. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. yeah. Um, but every day I don't help as much as I should probably because I'm a bad morning person, but like they're getting ready, packing their lunches, getting ready to go with Troy about three miles to where their school is. And when they get in the truck and I'm kissing everybody goodbye, Isaac every single day says, may God be with you in your day, mom. Every day. Oh, my without gosh. Me. I'm like, thank you, son. That, like, if I could have that on, like, a recording while I drink my coffee in the morning, may God be with you, Jamie. I need that, Tara. I'm going to need this. I'm going to need you to record this and send this to me. This is going to be awesome. Yeah, it helps. 
<laughs> sweetheart. And nobody taught him that. Like, none of us are like that. That's that's in him. I mean, I don't say that to Troy. <laughs> I'm just like, go, please, God. Leave, leave. I have stuff to do. Go. Oh, my gosh. That's so crazy. Okay, so um, in Haiti, your kids go to, like, a co-op, right? I just mentioned that. But it's yeah. like you have a family that teaches them. Are y'all in this with the Salvants or is it just y'all? Um, we are close with the Salvant family and we do a lot of stuff with them and our kids will do kind of big homeschooling get togethers with lots of families, including theirs. But for for the regular school week, um, these awesome people named Jimmy and Becky Burton from college station, Texas are, are our teachers and they have been teaching our kids. This is their fourth school year and they're, they've committed to five school years. So we know that we have them again next fall. Um, but they they teach Monday through Friday, and on Mondays another family also from Texas joins us, um, the Meadows family. So mm-hmm. on Mondays there's a bunch of kids, and they give speeches and do stuff as a group. And then Tuesday through Friday they are it's basically homeschool. It's just the best situation because it's it home is the best situation without, without your crazy mom teaching you. For real, <laughs> that would be awesome because y'all have had struggles with school. It's not the easiest thing, just especially okay. So here's the deal: a lot of people who would pack up their family and go to another country if they were going to homeschool, you would be at home with the kids schooling right. them while Troy would be working. But right. y'all both work. And so it's like the best situation ever. It is the best situation ever. And I think lots of people are like, you, you know, oh, woman, that is not fair. Because yeah. my kids are getting a great education from from licensed teachers. I mean, these guys taught in schools before they before they moved to Haiti. It's not like just me showing up, hack job, trying to teach <laughs> geometry and stuff. And they don't have to. I mean, Troy and I, and people, I know that homeschooling moms hate when, when non-homeschooling moms say, I could never do it because they feel that way too, right? Yeah, like, mm-hmm, I get it. feel like they can do it. So I don't want to, I, they're amazing. Like that's a, an amazing thing to teach your kids and to try to remain patient for so much of a day and never get a break from right. insanity. So, um, I know it's cliche to say I could never do it, but like I, when I teach math, I instantly, my voice changes and it's like, no, mm-hmm. that do it again. Like, you know, I sound, even though I'm trying to remain calm, I sound witchy and yeah. my kids start to shut down. So I'm just so thankful that they, they have these patient teachers and it allows me to work at the maternity center and Troy to work. And yeah, we're super blessed. And that wasn't always that way. Like we did homeschool for a few years when we first got to Haiti. That was quite a nightmare. I remember. Yes. And then Isaac still doesn't really know how to tell time on a real clock. That was <laughs> hey, that, we don't that was, use this clock to tell time with anymore. You got phones and stuff I, like that. I know. Um, there's big gaps in their education where I was in charge. <laughs> and, uh, then they also went to a English speaking Christian school, but that was like insane amount of traffic to get there. And we would spend four hours of our day sitting in traffic. And it was just dumb. dumb. We're not going to have people donating their hard earned money to help us live and serve here to just sit still in traffic. So we have the best situation now. It took a lot of years to get there. Yeah. And now I'm starting to get stressed of what are you going to do after year five? Hopefully we hire the next amazing people. The next amazing people. I like that. (laughs) If there's any amazing people out there that want to teach in Haiti, (laughs) yep that's awesome um so i get a lot of people that ask me these questions and i'm sure that you do as well um after the earthquake in 2010 a lot of people were like oh my gosh i just want to go to haiti and i want to serve and i want to do this i want to do that what in your experience as living there for a lot 
for a long time and working there and knowing the people and the language and the, the culture and all that kind of stuff that you've learned over the years, what would you say to someone if they're like, hey, what is like the best thing that I could do um, for the, the Haitian people, for people in Haiti? If people are like somehow feel like this, like, you know, connection to it for, for a number of reasons, you know, what would be the best thing that someone could do? Well, uh, I mean, first of all, this is just my opinion and I'm just one person. So I don't ever want anyone to think like, well, that's the only way to do it. But just, um, my thought is if, if you have a heart for a place and you care to help, you probably first thing you need to do before you ever help anyone is learn about what is needed. Mm -hmm. And I think we as Americans and I'm, um, or Westerners, whichever it is, uh, like we're so used to task, we're task oriented mm -hmm. and oriented and we think, well, I, I look at this problem, I decide what needs to be done and I do it. Right. And I, that's not really super helpful in reality because Haiti is, and, and Africa and most um, warm climate cultures around the world are very relationship based and going in and just doing something is kind of offensive. Like mm -hmm. they would prefer to know you and um, talk to you and mm -hmm. tell you what's needed rather than you deciding what's needed. And I think that's the biggest, that's the biggest pitfall with short-term missions. And not, not all do this, but a lot of it is, okay, we're going to rally our people here in Austin, Texas, and we're going to get them to go build three houses. But we didn't ask anybody about the land we're building on and we, or we didn't, we didn't clear what types of construction they prefer. And we're just mm -hmm. going to go do it. Well, when you get back home to Austin, it, to tell your story to your church down in Haiti, they're tearing the roof off and redoing it because mm -hmm. you did it a way that they didn't like, you know? And so or that doesn't work in Haiti. Right. So, so much of it is honestly just being willing to be a learner. Like, mm -hmm. would you let some stranger walk into your house and just start taking care of your kids? Right. You know, and we kind of do that. We kind of go into their house and take over and do stuff and then act like they should be thankful and pat ourselves on the back when really if we spent a year or two getting to know people, returning to the same place, mm -hmm. learning what was needed, the work would be, the work would be more effective. Yeah. I think that's one of my favorite things that I learned from you guys just, um, in, in our, in our adoption process, we would, a couple of times we tacked on visiting our kids with leading a team down there. And so for us, it just made sense because we were already going to visit our kids and, that what you just said was one of the main things I think I learned from you guys of just doing that is when we would lead teams, like our main goal in there was just to expose people to tons of different ministries that were working in Haiti. Yeah. Uh, and our goal was never to go build a house. It was never to go paint. It was never to do any of those things that in Americanized sounds, well, that's what's needed. So let's go do it. But for us, we just wanted to expose people to different organizations. And then our prayer and hope was that people would come home and then support them. Um, financially or, you know, with gifts or going down again or whatever. And so, you know, I love that. I remember out of that trip that I, we took a team down in May of 2008, like four couples from them then started adopting. Um, yeah. so that was crazy. And all, I think all of our kids came home after the earthquake on the humanitarian parole. Um, but I know it's, it's hard. It's hard to, and I'm, I'm glad that you spoke to that because we just think, well, if we can just do this, it'll help. It helps. It would help me if someone painted my house. So it'll help them, you know. Yeah, yeah. You know, there's all the complexities of, well, why did you spend seven hundred dollars on a ticket to come paint when there's this guy sitting here with no job that would love to feed his family with mm -hmm. his own hard-earned money? We could pay him to paint, and it would cost a lot less than the ticket and 
you know, all the rigmarole you went to, went to to get here. But people get kind of, I mean, people do get defensive and offended because most of us have gone and painted walls in third world countries. Mm-hmm. So then we think, well, I didn't, you know, I have a heart for those people. I didn't, I love them. Right. And I mean, I'm in that crowd too. I went on a short-term mission trip to Mexico when I was a teenager and we built a house. Yeah. I, now I don't, I'm not an expert on Mexico, so I have no idea if what we did was helpful or not, but mm-hmm. um, the most helpful things are things that include relationship and mm-hmm. that's true all over the world. Yeah. And for yeah. us too, like we want as difficult as it is, we want our kids to see the world. And so there's also like this weird middle ground of, do I want to just bring my kids to Haiti and show them, you know, the slum and how awful, or do I want to bring them there to like engage community and meet people and see the world? You know, it's, it's hard. It's like, you have to just kind of soul search in your own heart before you take that step. Yeah. Yeah. And for, I mean, yeah, it's for those of us on, on the ground and, and trying to know Haiti, I think it's weird because people will come, will come back after a few trips and, and I think they've got it, but I, I can truly tell you, I understand so little right, just... at, at year nine because culture is complicated yeah. and things aren't as they appear. And like, we don't get to just decide how something is because we spent a few years. If the, mm-hmm. if it's not your heart language and it's a second language, it's, it takes a long time to really grasp everything that's happening around you. And so for us, the people that return, you know, that come once a year, mm-hmm. those those are relationships that, that become super special. Mm-hmm. I think for everybody living abroad, it's hard to have the, whatever the, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, I don't know what word I'm looking for, but like, it's like a mill of people coming through. Jamie, oh, what yes. <laughs> like just people constantly coming like through. Belt. Yeah. Like yeah. a conveyor belt of people uh-huh. that you see once, you never see them uh-huh. again. Yeah. It's just like you answer the same 10 questions uh-huh. and then you never see them again and right. they don't. They don't stay in touch and they don't, I mean, I don't, yeah. that's not, to me, that's, that's not about Haiti. That's about something else. Yeah. And I don't think yet. Yeah. But that, but yet you have people that you've met throughout the years that come down consistently and want to build relationships with your ministry and with you guys and, the, and, you know, people around. Those are the, the relationships that you say you value. Yeah. And it doesn't have to be like, I, I love your idea, what you said. And, um, Troy and I have done this when we've been asked to lead groups to see, to see a bunch of work. It doesn't have to be that you, you go and you're faithful to only Heartland Ministries. Mm -hmm. Like you could, you could find four or five ministries that you get to know really well. You know, their people, Mm -hmm. their Haitian staff, their expat staff, and just pray for them and know what they're, you know, become a person that they trust so you could know the the stuff that people don't blog about or put on Facebook, the right. the hard stuff that happens um, behind the scenes. And it doesn't have to be, it doesn't have to be one ministry at all. So there's, it, uh, you know, like if you are passionate about orphan care, then mm-hmm. find a great orphanage mm-hmm. that's raising kids or, yeah, you know, if you're passionate about orphan prevention, Heartline's Heartline Ministry, Heartline Maternity Center. And if you love if you're a person who works in medicine and you want to become a part of helping in Haiti, find a great clinic and mm-hmm. hook up with them. Like, you know, Real Hope for Haiti does medical care. And yeah. there's there's no shortage of people doing things. There's everything you can think of under the sun. Haiti's so close to the United States. It's so crazy. That uh, there's more short-term missions to Haiti than any country in the world. 200,000 people a year visit Haiti from, from North America. Wow. And to think, like, I mean, I went in 2000. 2000- six 
And before the end, I mean, a very uneducated American, I was like, I don't even know where Haiti is. Where's Haiti? You know? Yeah. And whenever Aaron and I would travel, we would always be able to pick out the teams. Like, we're just traveling by ourselves to go visit our kids. Or I'm just alone going to visit my kids. And you can just see the team swarming in in their orange shirts or something, you know? Yeah. Yeah, That's a huge team destination. And and I think sometimes my people, like... People say that about me, like, oh, she's anti-short-term missions and, uh, like, think I'm kind of witchy. But it isn't that I'm anti-short-term missions. I'm just anti-dumb short-term missions. Yeah. (laughs) I like that. (laughs) Just anti-stupid things. Yeah. Yeah. Tara, did y'all do Halloween? Well, I was here. I know. Did y'all, did, like... You know, um, one of my daughters, my oldest, graduated from Baylor, and it was coming. So we actually, we, well, we carved a pumpkin and we shoved my grandson inside of an empty pumpkin. <laughs> that was a real pumpkin. I saw the picture. Yeah, it was real. It felt very abusive and wrong. But no, it probably felt like the womb. It seemed like we needed to do it. <laughs> and so we didn't even really clean the seeds out. We just gave him a bath afterward. So um, did he cry in the picture? Because that would make it even better. Or was he just sleeping? He wasn't happy. Oh, no. It, it, he's clearly not happy to be being put inside of there. That I, is so funny. But you had to do it. I mean, come on. Yeah. Yeah, and then we went to the Baylor homecoming bonfire thing, and I feel old when I go to those things, but I still, I love, you know, the marching band and the hoopla yeah. and all that stuff. That I love it. It's I love fun. It. Yeah, the tradition of it all is fun. So um, I went there with Paige and Michael and the baby, and that was that was it for Halloween. In Haiti, the kids don't really do anything. They went to friend's house and had a movie marathon. No dressing up. No, um, it's Day of the Dead, and there's a lot of stuff that happens in Haiti that's that I don't understand at all because. I so just, does Haiti celebrate something on Halloween? I mean, I mean, obviously not Halloween, but is there a holiday? Yeah, I mean, it's called Day of the Dead, and it there's a lo- like people who who are involved in voodoo will do. There's ceremonies and parades, and there's things that happen. Oh, sounds lovely. <laughs> well, I don't understand <laughs> any of it, but I know that a lot of it is kind of scary. Yeah. To me personally, I I mean, there's definitely people who would be like, could, could explain it and tell me why it's not scary, but it makes me nervous. I don't like it. Uh, I was uh, looking back on your Facebook today for some reason. Well, cause we were going to talk. So I was like, Oh, I just want to look at our pictures. I saw a picture. You must've just recently posted this though, of you and Troy and Britt and Paige dressed up as Wizard of Oz. Yeah, that was when we were our original. I mean, when Troy and I got married, I had the two girls, and um, so we would call that our original family. Like we were that for we were that for seven years. Oh, yeah, the four of us. Y'all look so cute. You could actually do like every character, the Wizard of Oz, now. I know we should go back, especially because I look I look a ton like the Wicked Witch of the West. I really do. Really, I, have, I don't think so. I have the right nose and the right chin. Well, next time Scott Wade comes down to Haiti, you need to have him like do and bring Tiffany and she can do all the makeup and y'all can have your own little rendition of the Wizard of Oz pictures because you saw Scotty and Tiffany's from this year. I did. They're amazing. It's not even fair. How do people compete with the, with that? I don't even like their family pictures. I, you know, don't even have family pictures every year and they have these elaborate <laughs> Like, I'll put it on the website because y'all have to look at it. But our friends, Scott and Tiffany Wade, they dressed up like Wizards of Oz. And in the picture, she's, like, flying on a broomstick. I mean, it's crazy. <laughs> yeah. They they have access to things that the rest of us, I don't think. They're they're not normal. They're superheroes. <laughs> These professional photographer and makeup and hair artists, it's not fair. Oh, <laughs> yeah. so fun. 
Um, well, Tara, thanks so much for chatting with me. Thank you for inviting me to chat with you. I got to chat with you two days in a row now. I know. And you know what? If you guys want to put a trip to Haiti on the calendar, we would love that. You know that Aaron is one of Troy's very favorite people. Well, Aaron and Troy bonded. We would we would love to come back for sure. Um, Aaron and Troy bonded on that first trip because um, Aaron actually, like, they were hiking up a mountain. Am I right? I mean, is would you say, would you use the word mountain? Like that yeah. might be mountain. mountain. Okay. I stayed back with my kids and the whole team was hiking up a mountain to a church service. Maybe I have no idea. Yep. Yep. And on the way down, Aaron comes up to Troy and they had literally just met like a couple days earlier. And he's like, dude, <laughs> I think I just crapped my pants. <laughs> And so on the top of a mountain, Aaron pooped in his pants and that has forever bonded them. Yeah. And Troy helped him ditch his underwear. <laughs> like Troy, like provided, provided cover while oh he went and got rid of his poopy underwear. I think that <laughs> the love that we included this. Oh, he, there he's going to love this. Yes. <laughs> if this makes the podcast, it's only because I asked him and he said it was okay. Uh, yeah. So they bonded over poopy underwear, which is so funny. Nothing bonds like bodily fluids. Nothing. That's a true statement on the top of a mountain in Haiti. <laughs> oh, my gosh. No, we'd love to come back to Haiti. Last time we brought Caden, um, we'd that love was to keep so bringing fun. one of our kids. Caden still talks about Noah and Isaac all the time. In fact, we're, we were going somewhere the other day, and I heard them in the back talking about someone named Noah. And I was like, who is this? And they're like, you know, Noah and Haiti. And I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> it's so awesome. much fun with your boys. Yeah, it was really fun. It was a good time. And then... I we, I think we would bring Deacon next. Amos doesn't seem really ready, and that's fine. You know, that's totally. He might it might take him a while. You know, he has a lot of memories from Haiti. Yeah, absolutely. That's a lot more complicated. A lot more complicated, and I think he needs to be a little older. In fact, I remember when we first got home with him, and you guys were here in the states because of the earthquake. Even like every time we would come to Waco to see y'all, it would kind of freak him out because it, yeah. it was just so weird for him. Yeah, it's kind of like. Kind of like when you didn't want to go back to Haiti because there's too many memories tied up in it. For him, it has to be, it had to have been weird to be with us and yes. be like, those were the people who I was with after the earthquake. Those people, yeah. I mean, it's it's so complicated. So maybe just plan that when Amos finally has an interest in coming, you grab your favorite counselor friend and they come with you. Yes, that's the only <laughs> way we're going to make it on the airplane for both of us, Amos and I. <laughs> yeah. Oh, so fun. Okay, Tara, thanks so much. Thank you. Congratulations on baby Graham. He is so beautiful. Thank you so much. And Paige is like, I told you last night, she's just not fair. She just like already looks normal and she's just so beautiful and she's just a champ. 19. That's what happens That's at night. That's what happens when you're 19. Yep. That's why people just have babies so young. Yeah. And they just mm-hmm. go We're on. young too. I mean, yeah. it's fertile when you're young. The whole thing is, yeah. And this... In this day and age, people kind of wait till they're 35 or 40 to have kids. Mm-hmm. And that's why we don't see what we're seeing with Paige. <laughs> exactly. You can't just bounce back once you get 36, 35. But, I mean, you still can, like, make perfectly beautiful babies when you're that yes. old. It's just yep. our bodies. God did something, you know. Yep. yep. Mm. Okay. Tara, have a good day. Thank you. Tell Paige you said hi. Okay. okay. Bye. Bye. Guys, I told you you would love Tara. Isn't she fabulous? Thanks so much for listening, and thanks for joining me today on the happy hour. 
If you notice, I've got a little bit of different music here at the end. That's because I have for you the new Austin Stone album called The Reveille Volume 2. And it's an instrumental album that is perfect for meditating or reading or just playing around the house to kind of calm things down. It's beautiful music that our friend Kyle Lent is the mastermind behind. And it's the new record put out by the Austin Stone. And so I actually have five copies to give away. I'm so excited about this. All you need to do is leave a comment on those, on this podcast blog. Go to jamieivy.com. I have five copies of these. These would make great stocking stuffers, great gifts for teachers. I'll put a link on the blog where you can go purchase some as well if you don't win. I want to say thanks to Sarah Williams. She left a comment on my blog and it said, Jamie, you're the BFF that gets me through cleaning my kitchen each night. I love listening to your podcast because it makes the chore way more enjoyable. Your guests are always super fun. I love how you delve into real spiritual issues, but also talk about light and fluffy topics. It's a perfect blend of encouragement and fun, and I'm always challenged in a good way. Thanks for all you do. Sarah, thanks for listening. That really means a lot. Guys, thanks for subscribing to the podcast. Thanks for leaving your comments on iTunes. I hope that you have a great Thanksgiving if you're listening to this before Thanksgiving, and I hope that you enjoy it and that you get to spend time with people that you love, friends and family, and you get to reflect on 2014 and all that we have to be thankful for. Thanks for so much for listening. I'll see you next week with my guest, Jessica Thompson. You're going to love her. Have a great weekend.